In today's episode, I get to sit down with Jared Fisher. He is the owner of Las Vegas Cyclery and Escape Adventures. He is also an avid cyclist himself and recently did a ride across America where he went from coast to coast, San Diego to Florida in 16 days. In this episode, he will share with us the ups and downs that he experienced along the way, as well as his five reasons for doing these types of adventures. Stay tuned for some great insights and life tips from this incredible journey. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist, of course. So let's get the show started. All right, this time I just want to welcome my guest, Jared Fisher. Jared, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. Good to have you. How are you feeling? I'm I'm 100% again. <laughs> I feel actually really good. Oh, so, nice, nice. How yeah, long is it? Been, how is it? Two weeks yet, or is it about a week since you? It's been two weeks. It's almost. It's been almost two weeks since I finished. So okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it takes a little while to get back. Um, you know, you can kind of tell what kind of shape you're in by how long your recovery takes. So, right. Um, I'm good now. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. That was a uh, how many? What was the total miles again? Uh, it was somewhere around three thousand miles. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so to recover in two weeks, that's pretty good. That's that's or less than two. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not really good the miles, shape. Ryan. It's how long you're sitting on your seat. That's well, really uh, the recovery. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm on my bike for more than forty-five minutes, I've got a long recovery time. So yeah, I can't imagine sixteen or seventeen days. And yes, yeah. So, okay. All right. Well. Um, I brought Jared in to talk about his experience as he rode across America and he has some things he wants to share about that. So I'm just going to kind of like start with you. You, you kind of have these five things or five reasons that uh, you did this trek. And if you just yeah. kind of want to start there and let's, let's go, let's take it from that. Okay. Well, I'll, first I'll just say, you know, basically it was a ride across America and this is my third time doing it. Um, my second time from West to East. I'd done the northern tier of the United States. This is the southern tier. <clears throat> and um, uh, it was a 16-day bike ride, uh, which uh, I set my goals to try and get across. And that amount of time, it worked. So, but yeah, I, I just kind of put a simple outline based on what people ask me after I do these, uh, these endurance rides. Mm-hmm. I get a list of, uh, you know, questions and comments. So I, I just put some things together. So yeah. I have my five reasons for crossing America. <laughs> you know, they're just they're my five reasons. They may, you know, there other people who go across America have their reasons. So well, and I think I think that probably we need a reason or we need a purpose. And and I, I mean, I'm sure we will come to this within the reasons. But one of the things that you know, I mean, as far as like starting out, and I know like you know, we're, like so we'll get to it. But something that I picked up in one of your uh facebook entries was just like you know as it kind of got more difficult for you it's like you had to tell yourself well this is what i set out to do so i'm bound to my commitment so those reasons obviously served a pretty important purpose along the way right i mean because it was sort of you're bound to this commitment that you made yourself to do this yeah there was no turning back really i mean you can bail out but then you're gonna have to live with yourself and uh you know I, I have, I hopefully have a long life ahead of me still. And that's a long, long time to live with my failures. So I try to minimize my failures, but you know, failures are humbling experiences. Yeah. Too. So they're part of, they're part, they're of, part the, of the deal. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear your five reasons then, and we can kind of talk about them as we go. So if you want to just start at the Okay. Top. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the comments I got near the end of the ride was, you know, uh, what what is it about this and Mm -hmm. uh, i said you know it's my it's the freedom that we have to do these things um so you know for me the bicycle and i think for a lot of people in uh, not just america but around the world a bicycle is an emblem of freedom and ever since i was a little kid i don't know about you but as a little kid when i saw a bicycle um at five years old uh, even three years old 
I wanted to get on my mom's bike and just because she was going places and I would jump on the back of her bike and uh, go places. And by, you know, I always thought maybe one day I could ride my own bike. And by the time I was five years old, I got on my first bike and I started riding it and it crashed and whatever. But it's that freedom uh, that that challenge you have to a learn how to ride the bike and b where a bike takes you bikes take people places as a kid it took me fishing it took me to the swimming hole in chico california when i was a little kid i i, I used to go there and swim and then ride my bike home uh you know ride to school ride to the store to buy things <clears throat> so it's that emblem of freedom uh I think just, just so many people, even Einstein was a cyclist. And I love that about Einstein. He would just get on his bike after he would be doing his big calculations and theories of whatever, you know, all these theories and um, just amazing complex uh, sentences he would ride on his board. And then he'd get on his bike and he'd go ride. And he would just clear out his mind and, and go and have that feeling of freedom. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was, uh, adventure and the bicycle taking me um, on places that I have never seen before at a, uh, a really neat pace. So being out uh, on a bike, and I can get more into this a little bit later as we go on, but um, being in open spaces and being able to see places you haven't seen like West Texas. I'd never been to West Texas and to see it at 13 miles an hour for, you know, six days across Texas, a thousand miles at that pace, you really get to take in a lot and you really get to focus on what you're seeing and what things mean to you out there. It's really cool. And not just in the daytime, but at nighttime too, um, seeing the stars, the Milky Way, uh, looking at, you know, what may be planets out there and just knowing how far they are and contemplating, like there is something about that adventure uh, for me that I just crave it. And, yeah. it, you know, that's my way of, uh, you know, accomplishing these adventures in life is on a bike. Yeah. It just does it for me. Well, um, something, you, something you said along the way was, and maybe this is kind of in reference to that adventure was like, um you made a comment on facebook taking the country in pedal stroke by pedal stroke and just kind of like it like you said it's a different way of obviously seeing the country and having that adventure but really it's like you can only go as fast as your bike will take you and you kind of are forced to absorb what's around you whereas if you're in a car you can kind of just zoom by stuff and you know not really take yeah. it that's right <laughs> yeah i mean at a car it's 65 70 or 80 miles an hour you know you're, you're gonna miss stuff like you're not mm -hmm. gonna see everything um, there's just a thing there's something about feeling and smelling um the outdoors i mean you can smell the tumbleweeds you can smell the rio grande river in texas you can smell everything it is amazing and just the breeze on your face and in this case the breeze was in my face pretty bad <laughs> for at 40 <laughs> miles an hour right? yeah. yeah and that'll be a little we can talk about that a little bit later but but having the breeze the heat and the cooling um, you really feel like you are part of your landscape. And uh, for me, that was just really works. That really uh, is, uh, I mean, we, some people can call it a spiritual experience, whatever yeah. it may be, but that is, it's really intriguing to me. It's really inviting and it really uh, brings everything um, right. Like a, you know, like a fourth dimension to me. It, it's right. really cool. So, so do you think that, thing, go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say on that, the sense of adventure, do you think that that's something that's always been inside of you? Or do you think that's something you've just developed over time or it's, it's gotten more just a part of who you are? If that make, you know what I mean? Like, is that something that you feel like was just in you or you created as you kind of like, I mean, talk about like riding your bike and, you know, since you were young. So does that sense of adventure just a part of who you are? I think so. I think it's always been in my blood. Uh, there's been times in my life where I've taken advantage of it uh, more than other times. And in those times that I haven't, I've always regretted. So mm. anytime an adventure comes up and Heather's the same way, uh, you know, Heather, my wife. Yeah, so yeah. 
uh, she's the same way. We both kind of carry that, uh, that love of adventure together. And uh, we're always trying something new and, you know, taking the road less traveled mm-hmm. because who knows where it's going to go. Yeah. So, you know, adventure, awesome. adventure has a level of uh, uncertainty to it as well. And uh, I don't say, I, I mean, some people hear me say this and I, I mean it in a very subtle way, but there's something about brushing with death that I've always liked. <laughs> I don't like meeting it eye to eye, but I mean, I was a stunt bike rider for many, many years um, as a teenager and early in my twenties. And I traveled and did stunt bike shows and just something about that, that I just, you know, doing crazy tricks. I've always loved that. And just kind of maybe barely making it and, you know, or crashing and getting up and surviving. Like I, kind of like that it's there's something about that and, and it, it's a I don't I don't recommend that for your listeners <laughs> unless they make you feel alive that. right unless you're <laughs> but I am still alive so yes. yeah. somehow I've been able to get past it so you know, but those are all different stories for different times so right okay um, no the third thing um for me crossing America was um accomplishing things in life uh uh, my thing for getting on a bike and pedaling for, you know, two plus weeks is, and it's, I like to split this word up a little bit. I don't like to say extraordinary because it sounds selfish and self-fulfilling. I like to say extra and then ordinary because it's something that's just not ordinary. And I think that for my kids, to look at their dad and say, yeah, my dad's did something that was completely out of the ordinary. It was extraordinary. Most people don't do that. Um, and so it's something that I know how to do and I can do that is extraordinary that they can say, my dad did that. And uh, for me, that's that, that makes me want to live more because my I know my kids look up to that and they've always looked up to their dad. Uh, doing bike tricks and so forth, but, you know, doing things that are not normal. uh, I feel like that's something I can share with my kids and be an example to my kids in the future for when they want to, you know, do things that are out of the ordinary and say, you know, I don't know if I should do that, but well, dad did that. Let me give it a shot. And those can be, you know, those can be beneficial in their life. They could be ordinary, uh, extraordinary things that are a financial benefit to them, you know, taking extra classes at the university or going on that internship that they thought maybe they shouldn't do, but you know what, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I've always done things like that, that are a little bit out of the ordinary in hopes that it, it will be a benefit, not just to my kids too, but also to, you know, my friends and um, other family members, just, you know, I want to, I want to be able to share something that's different. And if I could do it, I'm going to do it. So, um, you know, that, that, that accomplishing those things is, uh, one of the reasons that I do these things. So, well, two things on that, if you, if you don't mind me tapping in one, one is I've talked a lot about this, like recently about like resilience and stuff. And one of my uh, guests came on he said that he said living life on purpose with purpose. And I think that sense of accomplishing things and being able to have, a purpose in what we're doing and finding reasons to do it or finding things to do that give us that sense of accomplishment is huge. And then the other thing I hope people were listening in terms of the parenting side of it is like, what a great gift to give your kids, which is this sense of like, there are no limits. Like you have this ability to do whatever you want to do. If you put your mind to it, you know, like the extra ordinary, you don't have to be limited to doing things in a box like you can do whatever you want to do and I just think that that's an amazing gift to give your kids and I can see that in them I know you know other people you know may not know you personally I know you personally I know your kids and you can just see that in them in the way that they live their lives you know you have one son that's in Japan Um, you have another son Dakota that I know that I mean I see him on Instagram and stuff and always doing flips off trees and doing whatever (laughs) and and just like living without a sense of limit like I'm not afraid to do or to try those things so I just think what an amazing gift so kudos to you for doing that for your kids thank you yeah I appreciate that I mean and and when I see my kids doing those things I know that's working Mm -hmm. so um it's you know it's it's a actual project that actually works 
yeah, and, uh, yeah. there's results yeah. and you can, uh, you know, I don't know how measurable they are other than saying, yeah, my kid just did a backflip on a scooter <laughs> right. at the skate park and I could never do that, but he did it. And like, that's awesome. So right. Right. yeah, the kids are, the kids are learning that. And so leading by example through these accomplishments mm-hmm. is, is a key thing to do. And yeah. that's just, it, and it, and it, and it just so happens that I do that through cycling but mm-hmm. anybody, any of your listeners have their own abilities that are unique, that they can do the same things just through a different, um, a different method, a different way of doing it. So, you know, if it's decorating cakes or, you know, it, it could be anything. And I mean, yeah. it could just be, you know, your intelligence as a mathematician and sharing that with, you know, groups of people or public speaking it could be anything. So mine just happens to be cycling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the fourth thing uh, for what I do, uh, why I cross the country on a bicycle is <laughs> it's the challenge. You know, it's, it's the personal challenge and comp- con- conquering something that's bigger than yourself. I mean, the country is certainly bigger than me and to see 3000 miles in front of me, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally, all by myself. There's nobody following me. There's no, uh, you know, I don't have a, like an ex- oh, hang on. Sorry. That's my, my, uh, my clock going off there. Sorry about that. Right. Um, there's, there's no, uh, you know, it's just the endless road. I get a 3000 mile road. It's not like I'm stopping at X town and then I'm going to have the meal at this place. There's none of that. My goal the challenge for me, and I wrote this on a piece of paper before I left, is I put, I put um, Atlantic Ocean and a big square. <laughs> that was it <laughs> on a piece of paper. And the only thing I needed to do is put a check mark in that box when I got to the Atlantic Ocean. And it meant that everything between me and the Atlantic Ocean was, it was going to be up in the air and it was going to be everything I made out of it. Yeah, everything I made out of it and everything, the new uh, experience in life and the new um, challenges that I would have in front of me and the just what I was going to see, like, wow, there's something about that. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I wrote, I could literally write a book over those past 16 days that it that it took like riding nearly 200 miles a day to get across the country was one challenge for me. And I knew that I knew that 16 days was going to really push the limits, but I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't going to be out of the, out of the question, but I just knew that what I needed to do to get across this country, there was going to be some good days and there's going to be some bad days, but the challenge of that headwind, you know, for most of the, most of the ride, I mean, I had a headwind. I didn't expect that. Um, you know, I didn't expect like for one of the days to nearly be 24 hours in the saddle. Like that was what I didn't expect. And I had to, you know, I had to compensate some other way for that. So there's so many uh, challenges. The challenge of, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, I, I couldn't bike like that. You know, I my, my heart rate would be going through the roof. And I'm like, well, it's never about heart rate for me. Like, <laughs> like that it's, that's not the challenge. Um, the challenge is not falling asleep on my bike. That's my challenge. So when the sun goes down and the stars come up, I spend a couple hours, two, three hours, four hours looking at the stars and contemplating about life. But then, you know, the eyes start to get heavy and the bike starts to sway and you start to end up on the side of the road in ditches. And thank heavens this time I did not technically fall asleep while I was riding. However, I did fall asleep talking on my video camera and it's hilarious. And I, I'll eventually show that um, soon. There's, there's a friend of mine who kind of puts together little documentaries and uh, I'll get into this in a few minutes, but um, I took cameras with me because I wanted to make sure that I could share this in some beneficial way with other people. And it also kept me grounded and it kept me with, um, uh, things that I needed to do each day to keep my mind in check. So, um, so that's why I took that, took, took some cameras with me. Um, but, uh, just accomplishing, accomplishing the challenge of it, just, just every day, not knowing what's going to happen 
yeah. who I was going to meet and if I was going to get ran off the road and if I was going to be able to understand how the people in the South and Mississippi talked at the grocery store when I went in, like, I didn't know that I couldn't understand the dialect. <laughs> it's almost a different country, but I didn't know that. And now I know that. So, you know, it was challenging for me to even get through a conversation with some people because they just talked differently. I wasn't used to it. So, yeah. so that's, that's the other well, thing is, is the challenge of the adventure, the challenges that are thrown in front of you. Right. So something I love about that and just kind of like to, to summarize what I took from that is the fact that, you know, like you said, you wrote on that napkin, the Atlantic Ocean, that was the goal just about getting there. And I think a lot of times we, you know, as people have those visions of what we want to do, but when things don't go the way we think or when the challenges start to come, that's when the real test starts, right? It was like the winds or the longer days or the consecutive days of only having three or four hours of sleep or, and I want people to know that this was not glamorous. Like it wasn't staying in hotels every night. Like this was like sleeping on dirt roads and kind of wherever my bike, you know, wherever I got to type of thing, just throwing down a sleeping bag. And, but just when those challenges come or when we get thrown curveballs or when things don't go quite the way we planned, do we stick with, Hey, that box says I got to get to the Atlantic ocean and I got to keep my, you know, keep my mind focused on what the goal is, despite the challenges. And I think, again, that's a exemplary uh, way of, of doing that, you know, that just that didn't matter what came, I just had to adapt and then keep moving. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to add to that, um, this is kind of a, you know, through my life, I've set goals. <clears throat> and I know if my goals un are unrealistic, because I never obtain them. So I learned early on that I would have a list of goals written down and none of them were getting checked off. Like I kept looking, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't do anything. Then I realized I wasn't making obtainable goals. So then I started writing goals down and I was checking them all off. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous because now I'm hitting everything and it's too easy. So I find a balance. I know I'm on the right track when, uh, I don't quite hit everything and I use those as learning experiences, but I do hit, um, and not always, but I do hit at least half of those things that I put up for me to obtain. So I set the checkbox for the Atlantic ocean and I didn't put 16 days on it. However, in my mind, I knew that's what I wanted to do because I knew that that would be one of the faster times of anybody cycling across the America um, as a soloist without support and without, you know, just the road in front of you and that's it. But uh, I wasn't going to set a record, but I just wanted to be competitive with myself. And I knew that would be really hard. I didn't set goals um, on paper every day, but in my mind, I picked out what I needed to get to do in order to get there if I was going to accomplish a 16-day ride. And so I would say, hey, look, Jared, you've got to go 225 miles today. If you do that today, you know that tomorrow you can ease it down a bit and um, you know, you're going to be in hillier country tomorrow. Take today and just say that this is your goal. And that really worked well for me because... Um, I would, uh, I would use that as a way to get through those days. And the other thing I use, you just mentioned hotels and dirt. Now, generally about half the time I'm sleeping in the dirt and there was numerous times that I was laying in the dirt on my back this trip, but a lot of those times were in the middle of the day, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> At night, I looked hard for hotels because okay. <laughs> I needed them. So what I decided this trip, now I still camped out yeah. I had one night that I stayed completely overnight uh, in my bag. The rest of the time I was in the dirt without a bag um, during early morning hours or in evenings. And then I'd get back up and I'd start riding. And then I'd pick out a place that I could get to that there would be a hotel. And sometimes the hotels weren't even there in Texas. Like you call them, somebody answers and you get there and there's nobody there. There's not even a hotel there. So A, Either I called the wrong place or B, there's ghosts in these old closed down ghost towns in Texas. I don't know what it was, but two times I ended up at a hotel where it was like a ghost town. There's no one there. And the people, I talked to somebody, but it just meant that I was on my own. And it was like, Jared, you're on your own. Get your butt in gear, start pedaling down the road again. 
Mm. So I would set some, uh, some, some little, some basically some, some road signs for myself. Hey, look, if you, Jared, if you can hit 220 today, then anything after that's free game. You can go get a hotel. It doesn't matter what it costs, Jared. You get that because you made it beyond that today. And so there were times that I did that. Now, if I didn't make it there and it was less, then um, I was on my own again. I didn't get that privilege. So it was all over the place on this trip. Like it, it was just everywhere. So it was a really unusual <laughs> adventure in that respect. But yeah, you bring your camp gear and you're, you're, you're laying on your back quite a bit, especially with that kind of mileage in the daytime. Now, yeah. most people that do this ride uh, do it as a 45-day ride. And so they'll do about 60 miles a day. But um, I just, as a business owner um, and an entrepreneur, like I don't have 45 days to be away like that. And number two, uh, you know, it goes into number five, which is, you know, I might as well get into now. It's yeah. conquering your demons. Mm -hmm. For me, that's a lot of the reason I head off on these trips is to conquer my demons in life. And I know that everybody out there listening has their own unique demons in their lives and some of them have been there your whole life and some of them are newer and they've just come into your life and you don't know what to do with it and for me being on a bike in wide open country um for i mean i'll give one quick example on the eighth day of my ride um well, let me back up on the seventh day of my ride i generally were due between 170 and 220 miles in a day i had only done I think it was 86 miles one day. I couldn't ride anymore. Like the headwinds were horrendous. And uh, if you go back to my Facebook posting, you'll see the, <laughs> the absolute <laughs> devastation in my face. And like, if you could read my mind, you would need a filter for some of the words that were going <laughs> through my mind. And uh, it, it was difficult. And so, uh, I didn't get nearly, I got about half the distance, distance I needed to. And uh, getting back out at night, I decided that I was going to um, get a hotel room in the early afternoon, which I've never done before. And I thought, you know what, I need to actually use this moment to sleep in a bed. And I need to gather my bearings and I need to, um, uh, and I looked at the weather and the wind for the first time in eight days was going to be going east. And I said, by the grace of God, I have got to be on the tail end of that, like right when that tailwind hits. And so I set my alarm for midnight and I slept for about five hours and I woke up and I looked out the door and that tailwind, had, that wind that was in my face up to 40 mile an hour gust had switched directions in the middle of the night because these tornadoes had been looping through Texas and I was on the bottom end of those and that wind was wicked. So I jumped on my bike at midnight. And I literally took off at midnight and I had done a hundred miles before any of my friends had woken up in their night's sleep. I had, I was in Del Rio, Texas on sunrise. That was hundred miles behind me. And I was feeling great. And, but the thing is during the night, like I was, my demons were out there, even though I had that tailwind and I was cruising and I was feeling good. There were two, three, four hours where I never saw a vehicle. There were no towns and there was nothing. If anybody's ever been out there just past Marathon, Texas and West Texas, as you go east to Del Rio, it's one of the most desolate areas in our country. <laughs> and to be out there so vulnerable on a bicycle by yourself in the dark, knowing that if you hit a ram running across the road, because I had seen a heard a ram running across uh, the road just the day before. And um, you know, if you hit a ram or you hit a bunny, you hit a armadillo, like you're flipping over your bars and you're going down. And at 30, 40 miles an hour, you're gonna be hurt. And if somebody doesn't find you quickly, you could die. So there's a lot of demons going through your mind late at night in Texas in those situations. But I find a challenge in that. And I find that I need to face those things like that level of, um, you know, I talked about it earlier, but that approaching death, like, I mean, I, I, I like that. And at times I don't like it either because I, sometimes I get too close to it. And, uh, 
Um, and I, you know, I've been able to conquer it every time, but, uh, you know, there's times it is really close. And so for me, one, one of the, and I'll, I'll get into this right now is, you know, conquering demons. Um, I was a cancer survivor. So as a kid, like I had bladder, bladder cancer and uh, I had two major operations. And if it weren't for modern day uh, medicines, I would not be here and I would never have these opportunities. So um, I always think about just the chance that I have to be here, being able to do this and how other people who lived a little earlier than me who died because they had cancer or for people who had, weren't able to find their cancer soon enough and conquer it, don't have the chance that I had. So for me, like, I feel a little bit uh, like overly lucky that I'm here and they're not. So that's a demon for me is, is, um, you know, having, being able to, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain that, but it's a demon for me knowing that I'm here and some of my friends aren't right now that, uh, you know, weren't so lucky. Um, you know, I've, I've had friends who've died on bicycles and, and just weren't as lucky as me. And so, uh, you know, I, th those are demons that I have to face, like the fear of death and so forth. You know, that kind of comes into one of my, one of my demons, but, um, the health and survival of, of, uh, you know, my health and being able to survive, like that's a demon for me just because I was a cancer survivor. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so do you feel like you got to kind of, does that also then kind of work both ways? Do you feel like you've got to live life in a way that sort of a, reflects an appreciation for that then continuously? Like Sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really, I, 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 I read the Bhagavad Gita, you know, and, and you talk about like uh, karma and dharma and uh, just living, uh, you know, like Buddhism. And I love to study religions, world religions and how they all interact with, you know, how you, how to live your life or, you know, authority, you know, telling you how to live. And, but it all really comes down to for me is I love living of the moment. I love living in the moment and yeah, being a cancer survivor, I realized that, that every day is a bonus day for me. And, um, you know, I, so, I'm such, I'm so blessed that I have kids like unbelievable. I mean, if I wasn't here, my kids wouldn't be here, you know? So uh, you know, it's just one of my demons that I fight is the fact that I, I survived something that shouldn't have been survivable, you know, just a few years earlier, because this was in the seventies that I had my cancer. Oh. And, um, you know, back then the medicine was just kind of <laughs> coming around Come, chemotherapy right. and radiation, losing all my hair and mm -hmm. being sick and in the hospital and out for six months and five years of follow-ups and, uh, you know, tubes up your uh you know private parts and <laughs> just being right. sick all the time right getting out right. of it so mm -hmm. yeah so that that's was awesome. that's one of my demons for sure yeah okay so it's almost like a little bit of like a survivor's guilt kind of in in some way then right in, in a I way mean, yeah exactly it is like yeah again like sometimes i feel like i got overly lucky and right before so so i and i don't take any day for granted like yeah if i ever find myself in that position I quickly slap myself and say, hmm. snap out of it, Jared, you know, you should be grateful that you're here right now. So, yeah. Okay. Right. So, yeah. So the second thing is um, achieving goals. Like for me, um, I can't stand it when I don't accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And uh, you know, I had, I had already talked about this, but um, you know, if I say I'm going to do 180 miles and I do 112 or 86, then, uh, man, like that really bothers me. Like, darn it. I didn't get there. What did I do wrong? How did I do like it eats away at me and I've got to really, uh, fight that. And it's, it's just something that I've been pestered with. I don't know. It's just in my DNA that, uh, if I don't achieve a goal, then I feel like I've failed, even though I know that's not true. It's a myth that I've created in my mind that I need to do. And I try to get rid of it. I try to fight it and that's a demon. So when I get out there and I don't achieve those daily miles or I don't get to where I needed to that day or, um, Hard to uh, turn the page on it or something happens. Yeah. I've got to be like, you know what? You just, you just put your head down and you quit pouting. And there, there was a video that I, that I, one of the videos on one of the days I went back and looked at it and I was a mess. It was the 14th day of the ride. And like, you could hear the voice 
I was literally a mess that I had, I felt like I had um, failed in, in many ways on the ride. And um, uh, like, I had to fight that in my mind. Like I, I realized that the miles that I, I, you know, the other thing was that Heather and Sequoia were meeting me in uh, St. Augustine and they were gonna be there. And I wanted to be there when they got there. And I was on this schedule that I could probably do it, but then it started to started to go downhill and it started to look like that wasn't gonna happen. And I really had to fight getting to the level that I needed to and fight failing those moments. Well, on that day, I have a quote or one of the quotes that you said was, in my mind, I had already felt like it was over. Rather hard to explain. So, yeah, that was the day that you were feeling all that, that you kind of maybe weren't, I guess, <laughs> yeah. were doubting yourself, I guess, and yeah. having, having a hard time. But you also, that was also the day that you said that this is, you know, something that you were committed to do and you're bound to that commitment. And so, like, that's partly, I'm assuming, what kept you going, too, even you know, so on one side, I have this commitment that I said I was going to do. The other side, I'm battling this feeling that I feel like it's over and I'm not going to make it. Yeah, there was a, a number of those times that I really wanted to throw in the towel, like day eight, like that was I, the end of day seven. I just thought, man, if I was anywhere near San Antonio right now, I'd get on Southwest Airlines and fly home. I go, <laughs> but I thought, how's that going to look to my kids? Mm. Dad mm -hmm. made it halfway across the country and he, you know, he didn't make it. And mm -hmm. I've seen dad do these things before and maybe he's just getting too soft and all these things went through my head. Like, do I want to pull out excuses why I didn't do it? Or do I want to, um, you know, be at the finish line and, uh, you know, have my kids yeah. say, dad, holy cow, you did it. You know, and that that was enough to keep it to keep me on the ground, right. and keep rolling. So say that's what that's what happens with self betrayal. It's like we start to make the excuses, our you know, before we even get to that place, right? It's like, oh, we're gonna lose, and this is why, you know, and then we start creating the story as to why we're gonna lose. So, I said, and, but the 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 crazy thing about that is in those moments of like where you're at, like day eight, where you've just battled like you know forty mile an hour winds. I would imagine it's pretty easy to fall into self-betrayal because we're already beaten down. We're already like, you know, struggling, right? You know, it's like, it's not like I'm feeling refreshed and I've had great meals and all these other things. And yet I still have to battle my mind's, you know, willingness to go down that path of excuses, right? It's like, I'm trying to keep that focus and keep that sense of like purpose of like, hey, this is why I'm doing, this is why I need to do this. Meanwhile, my mind's already starting to create excuses as to, well, hey, you know, you gave it <laughs> yeah. your best shot. You weren't <laughs> expecting 40 mile an hour winds for days straight or whatever. Yeah. You know, so no, you do. You come up with those excuses and this, some yeah. of them sound really good. Right. You, you um, formulate the most amazing reasons why you can't do something all day long, like day seven to day eight. I formulated the greatest reasons. I had the best excuses. And I realized that, you know what, Jared, just, just get through this, would you? You know, so I actually had to take myself out of my, I used to do this in high school. I used to, I was on the track team in high school and I used to uh, wrestle extra, you know, as a, not on the wrestling team, but I used to do it kind of on the side with my friends who were wrestlers. And, and I would like, you know, they would be cutting weight um, I would, <laughs> I would say, okay, you can do this. You're so hungry and you want to eat so bad that like, I would see that piece of pie or my mom would make, you know, bowl of spaghetti. And I'm like, okay, that weighs how much I lifted up. Like that's a pound. Like how am I going to get rid of that? But I would actually have to take myself out of my body. Like literally in my mind, I would remove myself and I would look down at myself and I go, you know, that that guy right there, why can't he just do this? Like there was just something that I used to do. And I actually found myself doing that for a couple of times. I'm like, wait, I'm going back to my high school years. Like something's wrong here. <laughs> I would be riding along. And um, I like to fly my drone um, as, you know, one of my hobbies. And I actually took my drone on my bike. It's one of the heavy things that were on my bike. And a lot of people say, Jared, you should not do that. That's weighing you down. And I knew it was, and I tried to save weight other ways on my bike, but I got my bike to about 55 pounds, but 
um, I wanted to take my drone. And it's funny because when I fly my drone, I can see myself from, you know, from a hundred feet in the air while I'm flying it and riding my bike to get some really cool aerial shots. I love photography or video videography. And, um, but it's the same idea. Like I, when I'm flying my drone, I flew my drone, uh, 14 out of the 16 days. And, um, but I flew my drone over 16 times and my goal was to fly it every day. So I had to get 16 flights in. So I would take, and it's, it's tough to stop and fly your drone because you got to stop your pace. You got to pull it all out, set it up, find the spot, do the flight, put it back. And then you got to get back on your pace again. It's hard to, to do that. Um, but when I fly that drone, I would actually see myself in that um, on my drone screen from 100, 200 feet, 300 feet in the air where I'm flying my drone. And I'm looking down at it going, geez, geez, Jared, this, this is just like when you're in high school and you're looking down at yourself and you're going, why can't that guy do this? Like that guy down there, like that's one of my demons that I face. Like I have to look at myself from a distance and say, why can't this guy do this? You know, he should be able to do this. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's healthy thinking or not. It's probably unhealthy, but uh, for some reason it works. So it, it gets me to accomplish things, but I, I put myself back in my body because I know yeah. it's not real and it's a myth that I create. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, so uh, let me, I mean, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'm going to, there's, there's basically uh, four, four, four of my demons that I fight. And again, these are just my demons. These aren't yeah. the you know, everybody has their own, but mm -hmm. my third thing is emergencies. Like I, I can't stand emergencies and not being prepared. Mm -hmm. So emergencies happen on these rides. Things happen. I remember on day, Oh, maybe 11 or 12, my, my front spoke and I thought, okay, that's not good. So I'm counting as, as my spokes start to break after two days, like I'm, my wheel is now going like this and it's no longer healthy to ride the bike and it's really dangerous. So it's, you know, you got to pull your front wheel off, pull your wheel apart, re, and I took extra spokes. So I was prepared for this emergency. That's a challenge for me. Like I, the emergencies are rough for anybody. And I think that's, those are demons for people. Right. I mean, not just me. Like when you face an emergency on the road and your car blows a tire, like, and you don't know how to fix it, you know, you're under some serious stress. So I, I like to confront those things and see how prepared I was. So I took two extra spokes and I broke two spokes on this ride. I was yeah. able to fix it. What I didn't anticipate though, was my shifter broke. And when your shifter breaks, it means you go from a bike that has all the gears. When you're going up and down hills, you got all those gears to help you, you know, pr proceed forward smoothly. When your gears break, you have one gear. And that's like riding your BMX bike as a kid or your single speed cruiser, your beach cruiser. <laughs> Try doing that across the United States when you have a thousand miles in front of you still. This was in Louisiana. This happened at night. And here's my second problem is I can't see really well. So I need light. Um, and so when this broke at night, I had two choices. Number one was to sit on the side of the ground and weep and be a baby. Or number two, I had decided I was already at mile 140 and it's in the evening, it's getting dark and the sun set. And I said, and I looked at my map and I had 80 miles till I could get to a hotel with light. And I said, okay, Jared, you got, those are your two choices. You can sit on the side of the ground and be a baby, or you can ride 80 miles right now with no gears and get to a place you have light and you can use your expertise and try and figure this out. There was no choices, Ryan, like that, mm. other than those two, I yeah. had to pick choice too. Right. So I rode 80 miles in the dark with no gears. It was so gnarly and so hard. And it wasn't just that when I actually got to this hotel, the, the people were like, Oh my gosh, this is weird seeing a cyclist in the middle of the night showing up. And I go, well, my night's not over yet. It was midnight. And now I'm pulling my shifter apart. It has like 150 parts in it. I'm pulling it apart. I'm talking to one of my friends on the phone because I had never seen this exact shifter before. I got pieces everywhere. And he's like, do this. I'm like, no, I, it's not working. And like, I'm just, and I said, will it be any problem if I just rip this shifter to smithereens until like, and if it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because I don't have shifting anyways. So I, he's like, well, I guess, I mean, I don't know what else choice. I'm like, yeah, I have no choice. So I hung up with him. I just started breaking pieces <laughs> off of it and I figured it out. Like I took an extra shifting cable because what happened was my shift cable broke. 
So I took the part I needed to put, put into the shifter. However, I didn't know the procedure to get it fixed. And that was my challenge. And when you can't see, even in the light, I had a hard time seeing, I was under some serious pressure and serious stress under this emergency. And it was rough. I was nervous. I was even in a hotel at midnight and I had to wake up at 4 a.m. anyways to get on the road again. And like so many things are going through my mind. What's going to happen if I don't get, well, I made it 240 miles or whatever today, uh, or two, it was a 212 miles actually that day was. And um, I figured it out, Ryan. Like I, I figured it out. I, I actually relaxed. I brought down my breathing. I started to focus. And I, you know, I said, I'm not dead. This is going to pass. And if you just relax, you can get through it. So emergencies for me are demons, real big demons. And, and, and being prepared for those emergencies is um, like something that is a, cha a challenge for me to get ready in order to conquer those emergencies. So I look forward to emergencies, even though I, even though I don't want them when they do come and I fix them and I get through them, like that's, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. yeah. But, I mean, and it's, and in some ways it's like also recognizing and, and feeling, because again, accomplishments are part of it, but like, or a part of like what you said in the past is that, you know, I guess getting through that emergency and knowing that you were able to get through, it gives you that sense of like, I was able to manage that or handle it. I mean, not that, like you said that, I mean, sometimes we don't necessarily want to welcome certain emergencies, but it does feel good to know that you were able to work your way through it. I yeah, guess. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the key. The key mm -hmm. is to try and, you know, again, everybody has their own right. and so forth. So. Yeah. Okay. Now this final one it doesn't have a whole lot to do with biking, but it's a personal oh. demon that I I bet you that you have a lot of people out there, listeners, um, that that share this one. But for me, like I'm a deep thinker, mm -hmm. and uh, like I think just just something I've always had to deal with. Like like I, we're in the same religion, I believe. Still, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But um, I believe like, so. I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know. And this isn't about this isn't right. in, in about any particular religion. Mm -hmm. um, but it's deep thinking in theology. For me, theology is a demon, and yeah. it's always been. Um, I think that uh, as you know, as human beings who are intelligent enough. Um, to understand that we have this consciousness and, and subconsciousness and we are in this world, like, and when we see death in front of us and we see, you know, sperm to worm and we see bones in the ground and then we talk about theology, like for me, that's a, it's, it's always been a demon for me is to understanding how life works and where we go after life and if we go anywhere and so forth. And, and again, I don't want to get into religions and, and uh, um, you know, talk about the, the right. depths of religions. But for me, when I get out and cycle and especially at night, this really works for me when I can look into the stars and I can pick out actual planets, like I can see Jupiter, you know, with the naked eye or, um, you can, you know, pick out when sunrise at certain times of the year, you can, you, know, you can pick out the planets closer to the sun. There's something about looking into space and looking at planets and looking at stars that are staring back to you over millions of years and they're burnt out. You know, some are, some aren't, but you're staring at them and you just start to contemplate where you fit in this world. Like it's really can be a devastating experience for deep thinkers and those who are having difficult times in religion or who are having difficult times just figuring out where you fit in the world. So that's a, it's always bothered me. And of course, you know, I, I, you know, my, I have my tribe in religion, you know, it's my tribe, you know, those are my people. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter to me how much you believe or how much you don't believe. Um, but you know, you have your tribe of people that, you know, they're kind of who you hang out with and it doesn't matter, you know, it really doesn't matter where they're at, where you're at, just as long as you, you know, you call those your people. So, I mean, I have my tribe and religion, um, but I like to look at other tribes and I like to understand where they're coming from too. Like, you know, like, you know, did Jesus die and come back from the dead or did, uh, you know, um, uh, Muhammad do the night flight and see Jesus and Moses and Abraham, you know, in Jerusalem or, 
you know, and the Hare Krishna did, you know, the, the, the I forget the guy's name who rides up on the rides up on the chariot and has this discussion with um, uh, the, I forget the guy's name in the field. He's having a discussion. Did these things actually happen or were they myths that we create in our mind? And if they are, you know, how does that fit into everything? And how do we, you know, how do we make sense of, out of all this? So being on a bike and confronting that demon for me is really helpful. It helps me to understand. And it, it, a lot of times, you know, like, I like to I like the mind to explore and to learn. And, um, you know, I don't like theologies that keep the, the membership uh, ignorant. That bothers me. And when I see those, I find that unhealthy. And, uh, you know, and my, my plea is to anyone who is listening to this, if you are in some type of a religion and you feel like you're, you know, still in the first grade, um, maybe look outside of it because maybe you're missing out on, on um, experiences in life that will help you improve the religion that you're in or take you to something else. But um, I think that a lot of people deal with this uh, and don't know how to deal with it. They try and deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's like Fowler's stages of faith, you know, the different stages, like one through five, and you find yourself in stage two. And, you know, people don't even know they're in stage two of Fowler's stages of faith. And, and then one day, you know, they find something out and, oh my gosh, I've been in stage two or one my whole life. Whoa, there's a stage three and four. I didn't even know that. Like for me, that experience of, of confronting the facts, the scientific facts that we can't deny. In other words, we whistle past the graveyard as a human race. I mean, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, we all do it. We're all trying to figure out what's, you know, what is after all this. And we're trying to figure that out, but we do see the scientific results and we can measure things in science. And we've got to reconcile those things somehow. Some of us can, you know, create myths enough where we can get around it. And, but I'm not one of those people. Like mm -hmm. I have to look for answers and try and figure things out. So for me, that's a demon in life is no longer whistling past the graveyard. I've got to look in the graveyard and figure out why is this like this and how do I improve and how can I live a better life? And, um, you know, do I live in a myth or, you know, how big is this myth I'm in or, uh, you know, what's reality? I always use the phrase in business. I, you know, people, you say, you know, how, how are you successful? And I said, well, um, because perception of reality is more important than reality in business because you create, like my company, um, I have a few companies, but uh, my main company and my favorite company and my original company is Escape Adventures. But Escape Adventures is just a myth. It's just this thing that we created. It, it's not any tangible anything. It's just this um, corporation. And people believe in this corporation and, and, and like you start to realize like, you know, how much of your life is, is like that corporation, you know, what is myth and what is reality? So I, on one end, I say, well, perception of reality is more important than reality. But in, in business, I say that, and, you know, I can say that because I know that Escape Adventures, my company, our touring company is a, you know, it's a myth, but do I really believe that in my personal life? Like, not necessarily. I actually really like reality and I want to know reality. I don't necessarily want to perceive what reality is because that's where I find myself in ignorance and find myself, you know, in a myth. I want to kind of know, is there a reality? So, so anyways, I'm kind of going off in the weeds, Ryan, here. This doesn't have a whole lot to do with bike riding across America. Well, but, but again, you know, when we, when we corresponded, you know, I was talking yeah. about things that are hard, things to, to overcome. Well, right. that's why I ride across America. Yeah. That's why I do epic long rides is, is to overcome these things. Well, and I think to kind of tie it into even just like what I'm thinking about too, is that regardless of what the thing is, like you said, the demon is, you know, it takes us the, our willingness to face our discomfort, to be in discomfort, to deal with those things, to take them on and to be able to sit with them long enough to have some sense of, you know, almost comfort with them. Right. And maybe with like something like that, maybe there's always going to be a level of discomfort, you know, because certainty and that, you know, to some degree may not always mesh very good. Right. 
So, but it's still the, the notion of being able to face it, the being able to deal with our discomfort, to be able to deal with our demons. A lot of times people just want to push that off and pretend they're not there and just ignore the fact that they have these glaring things that are, are bothering them, but they just find ways to not deal with them. And that's not healthy. So the fact that you are in a place where, hey, I take these you know, trips and part of it is to really come face to face with my demons. I mean, I think that that, that from the standpoint of, you know, not necessarily getting off into the weeds of what exactly that was, but it's like more of that in itself, I think is, is the important message is that we need to make space for those things to deal with those things in our lives. Otherwise, you know, I think we're, we're doing other negative things that just, you know, hinder us in other ways too. Like it just kind of bleeds out. So no, I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and then I kind of add what you said, <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, I think there's people who can compartmentalize these myths and, you know, some people don't even realize that it's a myth, but some people can compartmentalize their realities and get through life mm -hmm. just fine. Somehow, I don't know how they do it, but then there's people who are their DNA is just not the same as those people and they can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to say that, you know, those people that compartmentalize the, their realities and they, they, you know, I don't want, I don't want to say that necessarily is unhealthy. It's only to me, it's only unhealthy if it affects somebody else outside their reality, outside their world. Like if, if, for example, if somebody says, okay. Um, well, know, it's like, if you have an addiction and you don't believe you have an addiction, but yeah. that's impacting other people. It's like, yeah. that's, that's a, I mean, that's Great the, example. one of the classic ones, right? It's like, exactly. You know, some people are in denial that well, this is an addiction, but yet, you know, they're spending extra money or they're this or they're that, or their wife's, you know, you know, they're, yeah. I mean, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I, no, you're exactly right. Um, the the addiction of alcoholism will affect the family and, and the person with the alcoholism problem. They may think they're not an alcoholic and they've got it all figured out. But meanwhile, their family doesn't have enough money to buy food. You know, I had a friend of mine just about three or four days ago. Um, he was... Uh, he came up to me and he, he informed me that he had an addiction um, with marijuana and he's, and I didn't even know this, but he's, he's done it his whole life ever since he was a little kid that I've known him. I had no idea, but he came to me and he realized that that was affecting other people. And it's amazing when people can actually come to that realization mm -hmm. that their addiction is affecting other people. I thought that was amazing, but he asked me to help him manage it. And so, you know, I'm calling them every day and we're, we're dealing with it every day. But, um, but, but outside of that, like maybe let's just take, for example, somebody's religion, let's just say you're a Jehovah's Witness and you, um, you know, you live your life and you don't do blood transfusions, right? Uh, so uh, you're able to get through your life and you don't ever need a blood transfusion and nobody in your immediate family needs it. And you're 92 years old. Like, it's not a good idea to tell them that blood transfusions are actually a really good thing and they will save a life. Like you just let them fulfill out the rest of their life and die in happiness. So they're not creating an unhealthy environment. However, if that person is 32 years old and, um, they need, uh, uh, they say their child needs a blood transfusion and Jehovah's witness. And now they've said, well, I'm not going to do it because my religion says I can't do that. So I'm gonna have to let my little child die. Now, this is a true thing that happens in that religion. And that's when it becomes unhealthy to me. That's when I think that someone needs to step in and say, Hey, look, Maybe we should reconsider this a little bit. Um, let's let's look at some realities here. So I'm kind of getting off in the weeds again. Like, what does this have to do with riding your bike across America? Well, we're confronting our demons. You're right, right. But exactly. We are getting off right. getting off That's the track. Right. Right. That's all right. Um, I, let me just, let me just kind of yeah. like segue out of that just a little okay. bit. But I, I did want to say something here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I talked about this just before we started filming here. Was um, I love the movie Castaway and Tom Hanks. And I love the fact that this volleyball comes up on the ocean 
and rolls up on shore and Tom Hanks embraces this volleyball and its name is Wilson. And I just thought that was hilarious. And it just cracked me up when I saw that movie. It's gotta be a 20 year old movie. And, yeah. uh, but now I understand a hundred percent where Tom Hanks was coming from in that movie. For me, you need a friend out there when you're yeah. out cycling across in vast open, uh, wide open America by yourself all through the afternoons and the nights. And for me, it's a video camera. I, a video camera is actually one of my favorite things. Uh, can you still see me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, for some reason I, I, I don't see you, but anyway, you can still see me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things, um, is having a, uh, having a, a video camera is my Wilson. I'm able mm -hmm. to talk to this video camera. You know, it's just a little small little square, you know, it's about this big. And, but I pull it out when I'm lonely and I talk to it and I talk to it like it's a person. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, if you see my video footage on my GoPro, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but um, like, uh, that's, a, that's one way I am able to get through the days is to create uh, a Wilson, so, so to speak, and mm -hmm. um, have somebody to talk to. One of the great things we have is the modern technology is we have FaceTime. So I could FaceTime Heather and Sequoia when I had, you know, cell service, but that wasn't all the time. So especially in West Texas, like it, it really, really, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't all the time. But, and the last thing is one of the things I noticed when I finished the ride was before I left on the ride, I had a brand new pair of gloves. They were sparkling clean, the big thick pads on the wrists. Oh man, I put those gloves on and I felt great. I remember leaving San Diego. Oh man, it felt good. By 16 days later, when I got to St. Augustine, I wanted to take those things off <laughs> so bad. And I looked at them and they looked like they had been through war. They were, there was holes in them. I saw snot marks. I saw bloody marks all over them, sweat blotches on them. They told such a story that was, and I looked at them, I could literally tell, and I could, I could write a book about my gloves and what every little grain of dirt, tear, sweat, blood, tears, all of those things were on there. And I thought that was an, that was an, a really um, pivotal point for me was to look at my gloves and say, you know, you can, it, things can change so quickly. Like, you know, we live our lives, but you can live your life and, you know, you can live a 20 year life in one year if you do it, you know, say wrong or too hard or something. But like these gloves told that same story. Like I would, like they were a story in themselves and like they're sitting over, you know, over here. I don't even know if I'm going to wash them because when I look back at them, they just bring back memories of, of this whole adventure that I now get to take through the rest of my life and share with um, my kids and we get to talk about, and, you know, I, I did it mm -hmm. and I'm so glad I did because it was so hard and I wanted to quit so bad. I mean, you read some of my Facebook posts, like I was a mess. Yeah. yeah I was just a mess. And, and I, somehow I got through it and these gloves are a memoir of that whole experience. So anyways, I thought I would just kind of, yeah. No, that's, the end. So that's basically that's the outline I have for you okay. tonight. And I don't know what you want to talk on or, brush up on or i think those were great i mean i don't know if you have any hit i mean i know you listened to a lot of jordan peterson was that helpful yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is i when i saw you in costco like right. i don't know three months ago or four months ago or i don't know when it was but yeah it was like three, you, yeah. you just happened to be visiting in town and uh -huh. i just happened to have listened to your podcast <laughs> like i had just found out that you were doing podcasts um, well, no, I had found out a little prior time, but yeah. for some reason, somebody said, oh, I got to listen to Ryan's podcast. I'm like, oh, okay. So I had just listened to it the night before and it was, <laughs> it was one dealing with sex or something. Right. I just was <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> and I think I mentioned to you that there, I won't talk, talk yeah. about it, but it was just funny seeing you at that point. Um, so yeah, I've listened to t uh, quite a, quite a few of your podcasts too, but yeah, no, I do listen to Jordan Peterson mostly because he is way above my intellectual level and smart dude. I have to really focus. And when you're focusing, 
when, when you're, you have your mind just wandering out there on the open road on a bicycle, uh, sometimes it helps to focus in on something and think about it to take some of those miles out of your, out of your way. And so Jordan Peterson really did that for me because honestly, I don't understand 50% of what he's saying. I really have to think about it. Yeah. And especially when him and, um, uh, oh, what's that with Sam Harris get together and they go like this and oh. you've got, you know, Sam Harris on one end and you've got Jordan Peterson on the other end and they're talking, you know, philosophical language about, you know, theology and, uh, you know, how the mind works and like, you really have to think about it. These two, they go at it. It's, it's pretty funny actually to, to listen to some of those, those together. I mean, I imagine you'll be right up there with Jordan Peterson <laughs> in a few years too. Well, he's so. Canadian. He is Canadian. Yeah, he is Canadian. Oh, yeah, you're Canadian too. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah maybe, you, you're maybe. right up there. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, great. No, I, I appreciate everything you had to say. And I think there was just some amazing stuff in there as far as teaching moments. I know, like on the podcast, I, like I've been talking a lot about resilience lately. And I think you exemplify the sense of resilience and just being able to go through some of those difficult things. But also with resilience, resilience, sometimes it is about just grinding it out and just kind of whatever. But, but I think in listening to you and talking about it, I hope people understand there's more to just resilience and grinding it out. I mean, I think the addition of having purpose or feeling a sense of purpose, having reasons for things, and just even like you talked about, like just with your kids and what you're trying to give them and just giving them this gift of, hey, there's no limits in life and, and things of that nature. I think when you're doing it, you know, for yourself, but also for other reasons. I mean, it really helps us to push us in those moments when, you know, we're faced with that discomfort, when we're faced with that potential of self-betrayal, we want to quit, we're, we've already created the story. It sounds really good. People will believe it. People will be like, yeah, I totally understand why you quit. But we find a way deep down to say, you know what? No, I made a commitment to myself. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And you did it. And it was awesome. I mean, it's amazing. So just oh, congrats thanks. on you. So, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thanks for coming on. And uh, we look forward to maybe 3.0. <laughs> I have one more, one more section of America to do, and I will have circulated uh, the entire country. So that'll be next year, next summer. So right. I'll come on after next summer. I'll, yeah. I'll some, maybe some new demons All right. <laughs> that have been created out there that maybe I didn't know about. So <laughs> sounds good, Jared. Well, I appreciate you coming on. All right. Sounds good. All right, I just want to thank Jared again for coming in and sharing his amazing journey with us. So many great life lessons that we can all apply. I just want to finish the episode today by sharing some of his words from his final post on Facebook when he finished the ride. The ride was hard, really hard. It was a mental game. The mind plays tricks on you when you ride 12 to 16 hours a day by yourself. Like when the next town is 95 miles in front of you in the west in West Texas and there's no food or water. When the winds blow against you for two weeks up to 40 miles per hour gusts. When the rain pours down on you so hard your waterproof jacket and pants are soaked. When the lightning is nine seconds away for a half hour and you're the only thing for said lightning to strike for miles. A bloody nose for seven days. When more than 200 dogs attack you from Texas to Mississippi at all hours and days of the night. When the only food you have is microwave hamburgers and honey buns. Or if you're lucky, some McDonald's. Avoiding two tornadoes somehow. When your front spoke snap on, snaps on your bike 300 miles from the closest bike shop or your shifter brakes in the dark in Louisiana, 100 miles away from a place to have enough light to see how to rebuild it. When you see flying black cows and black panthers floating in front of you or the moment you feel so alone that the voice of your worst enemy would be welcoming. This is what I experienced and it's also what I fought and refused. The ride was amazing despite all this. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's the magic of resilience and when we have something in front of us that we want to do that we want to accomplish sometimes we have to dig deep and find that inner strength to make it through jared exemplified that exemplified that and i appreciate him coming on and sharing that with us this is the vegas therapist signing off